0: Hi there and welcome to this, which is our 10th webinar this year uh, in our smart building series. And today we're talking um, about buildings and the need to be operated with more precision. And I'm really, really pleased to um, welcome uh, Eric Hall from Site 1001. Hi Eric. Good morning. How are you doing? Uh, Very good. Thank you. Excellent. Good. Well, I'm going to introduce you more in a moment. I just need to say a few things. Uh first of all, um, guys, this is, you know, um, a Q&A uh, kind of pretty informal session. So we're very happy to take any questions you might have. Uh, to do that, just please type them in and I'll get them here. And, and obviously that could be questions for Eric or could be questions for myself, however you want to do it. Uh, and also just to say um, a thanks to our sponsor tridium for for making this possible they've sponsored uh, all our webinars this year so uh without further ado let's um let's push on um eric i know um we had like a, a brief chat before setting this up and um i just think you you have a really interesting story so it'd be good if you maybe give some give us a little background on where you come from and and where you are at the moment
1: sure um so uh, I uh, graduated with a degree in architecture around uh, 20 years ago, um, and with a real interest in construction, um, you know, I was a bit of an unconventional architect from the standpoint that I wasn't as driven by design as much as I was uh, the realization of design. And so uh, when I graduated, I, I took a brief hiatus rather than uh, going into architecture directly. Um, I wanted to spend a couple of years uh, in the general contractor side, learning more about buildings and learning how to uh, be more successful in the communication exchange between uh, architects and contractors. And from a very uh, early standpoint, I realized that it was almost like we spoke two different languages. Uh, and, and what I ultimately found was that the motivation uh, of a general contractor is, is quite different than that um, of an architect and a designer. <laughs> so that road led me uh, to. Um, the introduction of building information modeling around 2007 and uh, with my background in architecture and my familiarity with familiarity with CAD programs like Revit and AutoCAD um, I really uh, was attracted to building information modeling right from the start uh, with a construction mind uh, being applied to what in essence back then was a design tool uh, we took the approach of trying to filter out where the valuable information could be derived from the system, and for someone who was frustrated with the architecture and construction delivery process of the day, I found building information modeling to be a really powerful way to help not only communicate information amongst the design and construction team but also be a better predictor and forecaster of failed conditions uh, and in, and what that translated to in architecture and in construction as well was a reduction in waste a uh, schedule acceleration and a, and a higher quality product being delivered to our customers uh, because we didn't find out things leaked when the water busted through it we had a little bit more foresight to do envelope analysis and so on and so forth so what that led me to was really a revelation in how construction was changing and the expectations of designers and contractors and the information that was being provided was changing I used to always say that a typical architectural plan is communicated through a series of flat plates and floor plans and what happens between the second floor and the third floor is many times left to interpretation under the guise of means and methods. Uh, Building information modeling helped to uh, force designers to stop looking at things in simple planes and sections and start looking at them more holistically and as a result it also gave the builders the opportunity to convey concerns about that design uh, prior to actually casting the footings in place. So uh, in in 2008, 2009, the shift became at least from my end. Um, how do we take this information that's revolutionizing the construction industry, and how do we push it into facilities operation and maintenance, where the majority of the money is spent? As a as an architect and as a general contractor, we tend to get really focused on the brand new jewel that is your building, and when that is over in two years, we go build another brand new jewel. Uh, but the reality of owners and operators of buildings is that that is a that is a, a small cost that is a quarter to a fifth of your total operating costs when you manage what it is you do in that building over time and for too long architects and contractors have just dumped information on building owners to say now you can run your building successfully when the reality is they're not in the business of running buildings they provide patient care they make widgets and so being able to take that information and bridge the knowledge gap between someone who owns a building uh, and the people who build and operate buildings to help ensure that the savings and the quality that we're achieving through construction by utilizing this information could also be utilized during the operation maintenance phase of the building as well.
0: Right, and that and that's what you're working on at the moment, right? Uh, that is correct. Just just give yes. us um, a brief overview of, of what you're doing at Site 1001.
1: Sure, so Site 1001 is a is a technology platform that deals with the collection of building information, whether it is BIM or whether it's traditional OEM and O and operation and maintenance manual data, and provides it uh, on a mobile device uh, in an intuitive manner that makes that information accessible to to the user of the building. So, if we think about the challenges in building handover when we go from construction to operation, we've got two major problems. One. The data is organized to communicate to engineers, architects, and contractors. And and the average building engineer um, doesn't know how to read uh, mechanical symbology on the M sheets uh, in the drawing set. Uh, the other problem is that the volume of information there is, is is overwhelming. How do you find the one piece of information, the one cut sheet that's buried in 10 million pages that was handed over by your 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 contractor and what's made even worse is it's usually not indexed so if we could take that information organize it so it could be delivered at the point of service uh, and then also make that information's organization intuitive so that uh, any person would be able to understand how to access it quickly and leverage that information and when we first built the product and we rolled it out into the marketplace uh, we found that on average we doubled the effective coverage area of any of the technicians whether we were talking about a healthcare environment Uh, mission critical center like a data center or whether we were talking about corporate offices the ability to cut out the the boots on the ground um, trips back and forth to the maintenance shop in addition to being able to have troubleshooting information like work order histories and OEM data on your device at your point of service has really changed the dynamic of what's expected managers who Manage their buildings can make decisions in real time instead of having to aggregate a paper work order system that could be thirty to a hundred days out of date depending on your data entry reconciliation and in addition we're also giving the folks in the field uh, the ability to do their job better as I think back to being a union carpenter with a degree in architecture, all I ever wanted was the best information to build the building and and as we know uh, you know based on the the level of detail of the design that can be difficult but what any builder wants is the information to build it the right way uh, and to deliver the design intent of the architect and more information allows us to do that and as builders um, I said we had some really uh, effective change 30 percent reduction in waste, 70 percent reduction in schedule and when you think about the fact that we're building and we're interacting with a portion of the building that's only 20 percent those same principles when applied over operation and maintenance can have a tremendous return on investment
0: hmm. and and you guys recently closed a funding round so that, uh, right? that is correct. We began
1: development in two thousand late two thousand ten where we began our application for our patent. Um, we received the patent uh, approximately a year and a half ago, which triggered us for a series A uh, fund ra- fundraising round which uh, demand was very high for that we actually uh, had to turn away some investors uh, to the point that we're we're considering another round at this point but uh, the demand in the marketplace when you look at smart cities uh, the transformation of the computerized maintenance management platforms mm-hmm. um, the timing is really uh, really uh, good from the standpoint that if I think back to trying to get clients to use building information modeling in 2008 it was a struggle it was a struggle to try and get people to understand why they should spend that money um, but today folks have have been able to see the benefit of that that uh, technology and that information and and what we want to do is we want to take it one step beyond using the information to build a quality building and we want to use that information to allow you to operate a high-quality building as well
0: hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we'll certainly want to get into the weeds of that um, it, it, during this talk, because I think there's, uh, that's that's really interesting. How do, how do we can go from not just from outcomes, but to output? And I've, I've heard people say that before. So, you know, traditionally, I guess maybe you, you sort of echo this sentiment that buildings have been built with just output in mind, building more buildings, getting them out, rather than what the outcomes need to be. How can we build buildings better? How can we make hospitals have better patient outcomes? How can we make schools give better education to children?
1: Yeah, if I could go back, uh, and we go back to 2008, and when I had this idea of how we could use building information, modeling information to reduce operating costs, uh, it was it was very interesting from the standpoint of we we were changing kind of you know starting at the end and working backwards so if if we think about how we utilize building information on a project we start with a BIM implementation plan and the BIM implementation plan is meant to be forward-looking so that everybody understands what tools we're going to use and what we want to get out of the system but the fallacy of every BIM implementation plan is it stops considering its value at the end of construction and in my opinion its value has only just begun and if we can get owners to understand how we can reduce their operating costs significantly because they chose to use building information modeling during the design and construction process then selfishly that provides more revenue to me as the building information modeling director to study more things and be more efficient Uh, we were able to illustrate um, that for every dollar we spend on building information modeling we could have a return on investment of twelve dollars during the construction process if we can get our owners to think about utilizing building information modeling not to make sure that everything fits together but using it to make sure that the information conveyed to the construction team is conveyed as well to the operations team in a in a meaningful way we really took it on it and tipped it on its ear and when we when we start thinking about our BIM implementation plan it has very little to do with construction that that's pretty much self-defined clash detection envelope analysis we're going to we're going to aggregate that we're going to do it But if we don't start out with the plan of saying I'm going to take 80% of this information and get rid of it because all it serves is an impetus to the operator of the building to find the correct information, there's a big fallacy out there that if I use my model, and I save my model that the next time I do an expansion project my design team can use that model that's not true there's no liability tied to that model no designer out there is going to take somebody else's model which has no liability associated with it and then blindly make their design decisions off of it what's going to happen is they're going to go do a new as-built set they're going to do new conditions and they're going to design based on that so this idea that putting information in a model allows that information to be managed indefinitely is, is a bit of a fallacy. The reality is there's tremendous information in there. The majority of it isn't relevant to the building operator. An example would be if there is a technician in a building who's trying to repair a damaged drinking fountain, the OEM data of how to remove the cover is far more important than the paper trail of how a request for information was asked as whether this was a Sloan or whether this was a price model and blah, 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 blah all the way down the line. The reality is I just want to know what's there. I want to know what its warranty is, and I want to know how to get service and parts to fix it. That's how you get machines up and running again. And when you have your machines and your assets up and running, that's how you maintain client satisfaction, building health, and reduce your costs.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I wanted to sort of, I mean, my uh, my background's not in construction so i think just from your perspective it'd be good to understand like where do you think we are with bim at the moment because of course you know it's very it's all very well saying like yeah let's let's take all this data and and we can use it to operate and maintain buildings better but are we using it even are we a lot of people now using it just to construct buildings i mean where, where do you yeah. The one word I would use to describe
1: building information modeling today of course is underutilized. Um, One of the big challenges back in 2008 when BIM was really just coming onto the market was how do we get owners to understand the value in it? Um, And so there was a lot of what we called Hollywood BIM at the time. And uh, people would make these beautiful renderings of a sun setting over a dental clinic on an Air Force base in Texas. Well, well, who cares? You know, I can't that doesn't help me locate the anchor bolts. That doesn't help me know where the hangers need to go so that the steam lines don't run into the ductwork. So, it's a beautiful drawing. I love it, but it's not it's not deriving value. And so the first step that we did was we said, here's everything that exists in the world of BIM, but only this 10 to 20% has the ROI to justify model authorship. So, who's going to model the stuff? There's nothing to study if nobody models it, and that's the biggest cost is the labor associated with modeling. So our first step was to take this big bucket of services that was called building information modeling and parse it down to where the greatest return on investment. Well, clash detection became the lowest hanging fruit because what clash detection did is it took thousands of objects and compared them against one another spatially to understand if they were going to run into each other. And when we think about the space between a ceiling and the structural deck, which we call the ceiling plenum, there's not, there's never enough space up there to fit everything in there. But yet that's how it goes. And before building information modeling, before clash detection, we put these system drawings down on a light table and we tried to see where things ran into each other. Well, our mind can only process so much in the third dimension. We can only on average process three levels of data uh, represented in a three-dimensional space. And typically we're talking about 12 to 15 different systems that are being combined. So when the computer automated clash detection, it really for the first time gave us the ability to simulate the condition in the plenum. And so we took the stance of everything has to be modeled that you care where it goes. If you're going to run flexible RollMax cabling, it really doesn't matter. We'll just drape that in where it goes. But if you need to run an 8 inch steam line that can't set up and down to move around systems based on performance, well, then your route needs to be guaranteed. And so the major focus was said hey, forget all this rendering and sunsets and birds and butterflies. Let's focus on MEP coordination where we can guarantee the folks route and and the, the the story I love to tell is, when we first did this, um, we were experimenting on our own building. We were building a new corporate headquarters. It was a $55 million project in an urban center. And we had already awarded the, the subcontractors their contracts. And at that point, we went to them and said, hey, you're going to do this job in BIM, which meant that I had to pay a change order. On average, I had to pay $30,000 per trade in order for them to model the content in 3D. Well, we were very careful in how we asked them to model. We wanted to make sure that we weren't asking them to model in an authoring program that caused them to have to remodel in order to fabricate the parts because their job is to say, here's what I'm going to put in the building, here are the dimensions of it, and then they want to shoot that over to a CAD CAM system where it starts bending out ductwork and cutting pipes. So authoring... Sorry, go ahead.
0: To learn like a new... I mean, how complicated is it to learn how to use BIM? I mean, if you're already using CAD and understand those, I mean, is it just, is it pretty simple?
1: Uh, there's, there's a saying, if you like AutoCAD, you'll hate Revit. Um, I personally uh, don't feel that way. But if, if you take a, 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 let's say, a metal, a sheet, sheet metal contractor who's putting in ductwork, mm. if you were to tell them to model in Revit, that means they would have to make a Revit model, and then they would have to go make a model that would be intelligent enough. To that means they would have to double up the effort. But if yeah. we could go to them and say, "Model in your original software, and we'll use Navisworks as an navigator, as as an aggregator, instead of Revit," well, then at that point we started to see that they could receive the benefits of reduced labor costs, reduced waste, and and improved quality of the building they were building. And in a few short years, it went from the guy who had the biggest foreman who could beat everybody else up he got priority routing to the guy that had the system that made the most uh... most sense for the building uh, to have it in a particular position so that's one little example and so building information modeling is growing out but what building information modeling the problem with building information modeling was initially it was kind of geared to the wrong to the wrong person i'll agree that Revit is really built to output Construction documents. It's meant to get designers to think of their buildings holistically. Oh, and by the way, we'll just output the plan section and elevation as as an afterthought. Um, but the reality is, BIM is expensive, and there's not a lot of money in the design aspect of a project. The the money is in the construction and the materials and the pass through of all those costs. And if we can get it in that bucket, then that was where the contractors started to have more success with using building information modeling. But It had to have a payout. It had to have a payout before you could get anybody to come online, and the payout initially began with clash detection and how it could reduce installation costs on MEP systems. Today, we're seeing uh, prototyping of facilities, uh, say a retail environment. We're going to build a a really highly detailed LOD 500 model, and then we're going to prototype that across the country we're going to take lessons learned and we're going to substitute that information within the model and let it serve as a, as a master data set. Those things are all having uh, really huge impacts, but the problem is the sophistication of the data set is fast outpacing uh, the engineer that could consume it in the, in the bottom level of a building. And that's where we come in. Everybody, you know, you build all these BIM tools and you build all this high tech stuff and you want to deliver it to architects and engineers and people with MBAs that are thinking about how technology can affect. well. If you're not delivering mm-hmm. it to the 55-year-old guy in the basement who probably has a high school education, then is it really, is it really affecting change? Um, turning over 100 pl- sets of plans and fifty ring binders just to be stored in a vault in the basement, is that really helping anybody do their job any better? So it's really, it, we want to empower the folks that actually turn the wrenches by being able to get access to information that traditionally has been thought of as something that provides no value to them or has been too cumbersome to even access.
0: Right, and I think you just, you you put got out there some really interesting points, which I kind of want you to elaborate on. So in, in my sense, and, you, and I don't know, I might have this wrong, but like where it seems where we are at the moment is, you know, we construct this building, we have this fantastic BIM model. Uh, and then you said it kind of either gets put into, like you said, these three binders and no one ever looks at it again. Um, Is that where we are at the moment? And if it is, like, how can we create this kind of model, which lives on past, you know, the handover phase? Um, Yeah. Uh, So there's there's a few challenges there. So, if we want to talk about the model themselves,
1: one of the things when we set up new projects and we craft BIM implementation plans is one of the things we deal with extensively is version control. We set up this is going to be the version because in a two to three year construction process you're going to have new software versions that come out and if you started designing in uh, Revit 2016 and we're at 2018 by the time we get 3 we're going to have some serious compatibility issues. So versioning is tough to manage over the construction cycle of buildings. It's nearly impossible to manage over the life cycle of a building. So instead of going two or three years, now I got to do version control over 20 to 40 years. That becomes very difficult. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the the folks that use that software, Revit, the, the, the VIM specialists, as we call them, they are very difficult to find. We don't have uh, programs in academia today that prepare folks for how to use them in the way that we're looking to use it. So, in essence, you've got to bring these folks off the street and you've got to train them up on how you're doing it. That presents a real. That's fine if you're a construction company with three thousand employees and three hundred projects going on all the time that you can bounce them to. But if you're a client, how are you ever expected to hire somebody that probably doesn't know what you do but knows how to run this particular software? it's it's this whole idea of we've got to get the information out of the tools that we used as contractors and designers. So a great example of that is historically you hire an architect, they provide AutoCAD drawings of your building, but, but you never own those. They own those AutoCAD drawings. You get prints of them that are your building, but the architect owns that design, that sentiment. And and from a From a self-preservation standpoint, the more we can keep that information within that digital file, the more the designer controls that file. Well, we've got a bit of the same problem going on here is that we we populate this model with all this great information, um, but then we try and keep it in the model. And that makes it very restrictive and makes it hard for people to do. What we want to do is we want to go get that information out of the model and put it in a web browser on your mobile device. And through that process, we're leaving behind about 80% of the minutiae that serves only as interference to keep you from getting to the information that you actually want.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, so the,
1: the purists at Autodesk would, would hate to say that you know the, the Revit model isn't the end-all be-all, but when you think about the liability limitations on it, no architect in their right mind would blindly take someone's model and just start building off of it. Um, and secondly, um, again it there there is a, a cost component to all of this and you know do we have is it cost effective to model the outlets probably not um, but it's a case-by-case basis and you got to think about it that way
0: okay uh, and you know we, we talked about like you said this was a typical facilities manager maybe somebody who um, you know a bit older uh, perhaps not you know particularly well educated how can how can you because it also it seems to me like this is not just this not just a technology technology change. This is also kind of like a um, change in the way you're working as well. Like how can how easy is it to get somebody to to start looking at these models and, and changing the way they work?
1: One of the problems that when we look at uh, products out there that are that are our peers is that they're built by folks that are either coming from a construction. Uh, uh, software construction background, or they're coming from a, a design, an architectural design background. And where I come from is, I come from a world where I want to get things built. I'm a carpenter, uh, and like I said before, I just want the best information to get things built. And when we build our solutions, we look at it that way. How how is it? I don't want the technician to look at this and say, "Oh, great, here's Big Brother trying to monitor my work." I want that technician instead to say, "This is a better tool." Uh, for me to be able to use in order to get to get our work done, and so we we're very anxious when we first rolled out, how it's going to be received? Is it going to be received uh, as as a hindrance or or a help? And and we were very surprised. It was immediately received as a way to do their job better. And the the analogy I give is that I did a brake job on my car a few months ago, and I just went to YouTube and I typed in the year and make of my car, and I watched a a twenty minute video and then proceeded to do a seven minute break change and it's the difference between doing something with the instructions and not having the instructions and today we live in a world where we consume information there's there's no expectation of limitation of knowledge You say oh, I don't know anything about architecture because I'm not an architect Well, google it and you, and you can find it out mm-hmm. um, I just a couple weeks ago I received a 3d printer and I opened it up multiple thousands of dollars I would have not one lick of literature in there on user manual now it didn't even tell me to go to a website it told me to go download an app and I was so upset I was like you know this is a marketing ploy why can't you just stick some instructions in here on how to put the thing together I gotta go download your app and blah 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 well the reality was the app it they didn't want to just give you instructions and let you go foolhearted into it they wanted to control the way you receive the information, the pace and the sequence you receive the information to make sure that that setup and installation went flawless. And that's what we're trying to do. It's not just about changing the information that we're providing to folks, but we're changing the way that it's being consumed and the expectations of folks. And historically, it was okay to say, well, I don't know how to work on that thing because I've never worked on it before. Today, we want to be able to give uh, OEM links. Let that person do some research on that asset, and let them become an expert because the information is there. Our goal is how do we convey it to someone in a meaningful intuitive way
0: mm. yeah, absolutely, and that's obviously what you're trying to do with with your solution
1: correct, and we're like I said we're you know the information that's there it's the information's always there, the information has always been there, but if you can take that information and you can say here's some very basic information about how you take this apart. Here's how often you need to work on it to make sure that its consumption is optimized. Um, Here's the warranty information. Here's some safety procedures you need to follow. That's really powerful information uh, to allow folks to be more successful. And The only thing that we're doing is we're getting away from that arrogant stance that architects and builders take. Well, i give you all this stuff, but you really wouldn't know what to do with it Uh, to listen. If I don't give it to you, then it's borderline criminal. Uh, for me to expect that you're going to operate your building successfully in the dark.
0: Mm. Uh just just a quick one for everyone listening. Um if you have any questions for Eric, please type them in and I can uh, I can I can put them to him. Um I wanted to ask I mean we talked about facilities managers. I mean, what other information? I mean is is there a lot of useful information as well for like further up the uh let's say the 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 chain of command, you know?
1: People yeah, who yeah, are so that's
0: at, the, at the kind of level of, you know, the C-suite level.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So if we talk about kind of the evolution, the layering of what we're doing here, first and foremost, we want to get the person who's turning the wrench to get that asset back working again, deliver hot water, deliver cold air, whatever it is. The second part of that, and we talked about how the documentation will help support that process. The second part of support that we want to do is we want to provide an integration into the building control system. So whether you're talking about Siemens or Johnson Controls, we want to provide some basic troubleshooting information back to the technician as well. So the technician may know that here's the program I use to open my work order, but I don't want to have to go to a different program to do some, some research on it. and I don't want to have to go to a different program to find out what the building control system is telling me. We put that all together. So you can look at the work order history. You can look at the OEM data. You can look at the performance statistics based on the building management system, all from your work order screen at the same point. And that's how we intuitively bring all that information together. You take that up another level and now, through the same building system, through the same uh, through the same process, we're now tracking our labor costs, we're tracking our material costs, and we're tracking our energy costs by cost center and areas in the building. So that would then allow you, if you have a multi-tenant facility, that would allow you to bill that stuff back to each one of your cost centers. Or if you're a hospital where you have different functional uses, so a single floor could have eight different departments from pre-op to post-op, prenatal, everything along that way, and you can break it up and have that flexibility. So the system is designed to be aggregating all of this data. On one side, it's helping provide information and troubleshooting, but on the other side, it's taking information like how long were you working on it, what group are you in, what area are you working in, what cost center do you belong to, what parts did you use, what was their cost, and then outputting that into whatever accounting ERP system it is so that you can track the information. Now there's two real benefits. We, we, I think that we've beaten a dead horse with what the benefits are to the folks that are actually turning the wrenches. But when we think about the C-suite folks, One of the things that's great about our system is every time we've put it in, we've replaced a paper system. Well, every paper system has a lag in the data entry that has to go back into the system before managers can query the system and understand where they're at so you really never have live data. So the combination of having live data, the combination of tracking that and aggregating it, and then providing a dashboard where managers uh, of different uh, departments, whether it be financial or operation or energy auditing, can compile information in a manner that they want to get their information out of it. But the difference is that it's real-time information. We can go pull sensor data from particular assets. We can, we have live, up to the minute, understanding of what's going on with a single work order because it's being processed in real time at the point of service versus coming in on the paper side. So technology is really what is allowing the higher level folks to be successful with it. We're not introducing this information into the building. It has always been there. What we're doing is we're making it more accessible and letting people that can actually leverage it access it and through the process of accessing that data, there's some really great reporting functionality and great visibility that can be provided to upper level management.
0: Okay. I just wanted to change the subject a little bit. I mean, we, when we talked as well before this, um, you, know, you, you mentioned something about, about how we as the industry can start to think about buildings differently. And you actually said that you thought that um, we should start thinking of them as being alive in a sense. Can you, uh, can we perhaps sort of go into that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, that's a, uh, so I did a a brief hiatus in my career where I went to work for a heavy civil contractor that did highways and, and, and stuff like that. And one of the most interesting things I learned that if you build a brand new highway and don't put traffic on it, it'll still disintegrate in under a year. And I thought, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard, but. Yeah. When you think about the freeze thaw cycle and how vegetation starts growing in the cracks and that roads are designed to be loaded in compression only when you take the load of the car off of there and you let it sit and it's it's subjected to forces which put the put the concrete in tension, which it was never designed to do, thus no reinforcing, and it just blows itself apart. And I think about the same thing when I think about buildings. If we build a $50 million building and we run it for 10 years and then we move out of it, there is i don't know what's worse the cost of keeping an empty building going or how fast a building will disintegrate if you don't take care of it so if you let moisture infiltration if you're allowing condensation to take place the growing of mold structural failures water infiltration that building is just dying it is dying in a way that physical that we don't think of in physical structures and a properly operating building it sweats it breathes it eats uh, it produces waste Uh, it gets hot it gets cold Um, anybody who runs a building knows that it's not an on-off switch it's a number of dials that need to be turned and balanced to get a harmony going between everything that goes in the building Mm -hmm. and when you think about everything that it takes to do that and how much we take for granted when we sit in a large building and air starts to come out of our diffuser to keep us cool there's there's 18 different assets that are working in conjunction together to deliver that but that's kind of lost you know in the shuffle of what's going on there um, so if you if you think about taking someone out and how quickly a building will self-destruct without being properly maintained it's hard to think of it um, as something other than a time-lapse video of a piece of fruit that you left out you know it just sits there it gets hairier until it just implodes on itself and disappears and we don't think of buildings that way and we really should it, it, because we're missing an opportunity If we think of buildings as something that we can just lock the deadbolt on and walk away from and come back to four years later, we're going to have a pretty expensive surprise in store for us. Conversely, if portfolio managers thought more about uh, their building being an organism with life versus being a stack of bricks that they can uh, leverage at another point in time, um, I think it will help the process another thing to think about is think about buildings versus being static uh, on the resale end of it do you, do you want to have the information about whether or not this building's healthy or not on the resale side? Or do you want to just go out and inspect the mortar joints on the outside to tell you whether or not the building's
0: good? Mm. I, d- I just put up a, um, a chart here uh, Looking at um, some research we did on the Internet of Things. So what I did was try to map out some of the different technologies that we put into buildings and a little bit about how they relate to each other. But I guess in a way, you know, we say, let's take this concept of the building be alive. We need then to operate it some kind of nervous system, right? And I I guess that's what I'm thinking of, you know, when we talk about the building internet of things is, is, you know, there's things that are conspiring together now, like cheaper sensors, um, yeah. Cloud technology, the ability to be able to process large amounts of data cheaply. Yeah. Right, we can. Jim, really- if I could, oh.
1: if I could yeah. elaborate on that point, in, in sure. our world, when we first did our building integrations, you know, we're fo- focused primarily with Honeywell, Johns Controls, and Siemens. And when we would have a client who had a building of some age, say ten or twenty years old. And I said, you know, I want to add some sensors because I don't have the granularity in my sensor data to really be able to operate the building that the way I want to. Uh, when they go to their existing controllers, that's extremely expensive. you got to run low voltage. you got to run data. You've got to integrate these sensors into the physical. And, and we found that on average, to go to a building that's 20 years old, it costs us around $10,000 per sensor to add additional sensors. Well, with the development of IoT devices, uh, there is a proliferation in the marketplace now of specialized low-cost sensors. And one of the one of the products that that we found is a company out of Israel called Panoramic Power, and they make a wireless, self-powered conductive transducer that clips onto wires within the panel. So in essence, you could open a panel and s- and snap these sensors onto each circuit, and you could have circuit-level monitoring for under a hundred dollars per sensor. Now. That's the first step, so now we have the ability to get information at the level of detail we want. Now what are we going to do with it? Well, one of the other great things that Panoramic Power does is based on your electrical cycling, things like compressors, they can do predictive maintenance based on short cycling and other performance variations that can be read through changes in voltage. And when you think about how the power of that system, we, we installed it in a building that was five years old, so it was considered a new building. We installed it, and within three months, we'd reduced energy consumption by 15% by monitoring off hour lighting utilization and other things that were supposed to be monitored by Siemens smart panel systems, uh, but based on configuration and commissioning, didn't actually get turned on correctly. That, I believe, is the future of buildings. More information being produced, information that's cheap to gather, but needs to be aggregated somewhere, and then once it's aggregated somewhere, it needs to then be dispatched out to an action item, i.e. a work order. And where, 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 where we live is we live in the world that's aggregating all that data from all those sources to trigger the creation of the work order and then supplementing that work order with the, op, the uh, original equipment manufacturer data to help aid in troubleshooting and getting that asset up and running sooner.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess one, one thing, oh, it's about circle back to BIM a little bit here. How does then the model of the building tie into this? So, if we're, if we're collecting, you know, we're, we're using cheap sensors to collect a lot of this data, um, really useful stuff, um, can we feed that back into the model?
1: Uh, well, if we're going to use the, the example of sensors, I've never seen a model that had anything to do with the sensor information being contained within it. You'll have the key assets for uh, things like clearance, code compliance, and things like that. But in the same way we wouldn't model a light switch, controls are typically not integrated within the model. Now the question becomes, should they be? Should the model be the repository of all this information? Right. And a lot of people out there would say yes, but I would say no for some of the reasons that I said before. You're going to run into a versioning issue. Uh, Autodesk produces a new version of that software every year, and within three years your, your stuff's not compatible anymore. So that entire effort of putting things in could be lost. Um, Another point uh, that I like to bring up is uh, I gave a presentation at the University of Washington in Seattle and there uh, I co-presented with the director of construction and architecture uh, for the university and they said that because they were a university they had access to over a hundred BIM specialists at any point in time and even with that level of resource allocation they could never keep up with keeping the model up to date and the question she asked the group was Do any of you have access to a hundred BIM specialists? The answer is no and we can't even do it with this. So I personally believe that all the information that is put into the model during the construction design process needs to be extracted out into a neutral holding spot where it can be leveraged later uh, but not in the form of the model because as I said before you can't go to an architect that didn't design your building and hand them the model from five years before and expect them to go Uh, design your expansion project based on those dimensions. There would be some verification that took place. Um, So really we see our system as kind of being an integrated aggregator where different versions of data can come in. Um, Our tool looks at the changes. Has this room been added? Has this room been deleted and aggregates that together? So there are different versions of, or different iterations of publication that you can take from the model and put into the system, but to leave it in the model um, in my opinion, is worse than putting it in the vault in the break room. It very much limits access to the information to those that have access to the very expensive software and have to know how to run it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's um, super interesting. But um, if we sort of look at this now, in going forward, let's say five, ten years. What, what does the future of facilities management look like to you? How are we going to be operating buildings, commercial buildings?
1: Well, you know, I'm, I'm of the belief that, that what we're talking about here is a given, that folks are going to say, hey, I want more information, I want better information, and I'm going to expect my folks to operate the building with this level. So I think uh, I'm hoping that what we're doing as far as trying to introduce this level of information availability is the norm but one of the things that I see as being the next step is getting manufacturers involved in the design detailing process and what I mean by that is uh, we worked on a pilot project with Johnson Controls in York a, a large manufacturer of chillers here in the US and what we were doing is we were saying listen if if you could if as the OEM if you could provide us with information in embedded within your model that would really help us during the construction process and they went too far they said oh that's great here you go and they give us an inventor file that they can make the thing off of that has every thread on every bolt modeled in it and the one chiller that goes in the basement the model size was ten times the size of the entire building right so there has to be some middle ground and you can't just give me everything you need to build it but I need some additional information that's where kind of the parsing of information comes one of the things that I see in the future is that currently when I put a two million dollar chiller in your building I I attach a spec sheet which is kind of your your owner's manual but where I see us going is where instead I'm gonna provide you with a URL and that URL is going to be linked to a document page that's managed by the manufacturer which allows for that data to be updated as changes take place it allows for equipment substitutions and recommended procedures for maintenance that can be updated over time you can never go back and update that those twelve pages of hard copy that you gave your owner twelve years ago but what we're trying to build is when you go into the system and you you access your asset like you do today and you get all this great information about that we want to go out to the web and start to query more information about that start to go in and ask other people that have used that chiller before have you had this problem and build more of an ecosystem where there's some back back of house communication that's going on to help increase the amount of information that you're exposed to i mean, go back to the YouTube video about how to change the brakes um, everybody who works on a chiller just wants the information on how to fix the thing if we can get them to that information faster the benefits are going to be ridiculous
0: no it's really interesting so in a sense like uh, product reviews or pe- or at least people that have already installed it telling you how maybe you can troubleshoot certain problems or
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that just to give another analogy on it, it's the difference between you going out and sitting in your car and opening the owner's manual and reading it from cover to cover and gleaning that information versus going online and talking to everybody who's ever owned that car before and what information you could get from them. Videos on how to do things, safety information, recall information. We're trying to turn your owner's manual into the Internet, basically.
0: Yeah. 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 And I guess sort of one of my final questions is going to be about um, contractually at the moment, like how we build buildings and perhaps, you know, then how we hand them over. Um, Not so much about, you know, the the general contract of the bricks and mortar, but, but, you know, actually as the diagram shows, you know, the different systems that go into buildings. Our, Our sense and some of the research I've done is that, it's still quite fragmented. You know, there are certain. Obviously, there are certain companies have certain skills, and they install one bit of equipment. Let's say the um, building management system. Then somebody else does the access control system. Somebody else might do some kind of video surveillance installation, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Are you, do you think that that is going to change? Um, do you think there is, uh, how much value do you see in the integration of, of these different kinds of systems?
1: Yeah, so that problem you described is because we think of buildings as being built. We don't think of them as being operated. So uh, my emergency lighting subcontractor is different than my security subcontractor. Those two things should talk to each other. Yeah, but that's not my concern as a contractor. What's my concern is that each person's getting their scope of work done okay so as a contractor that fragmented thing works fine I write you a check I write you a check we go eat steak the, the reality though is if we think instead we should not be thinking about this as a contractor we should be thinking about it as a building operator then somebody needs to come in to the construction process and say we're going to aggregate all this information together and that doesn't exist today and so one of the things that we're working on is to be more involved in the construction process uh, earlier on uh, we help general contractors provide information on how building information modeling should be constructed what level of detail should be there what should be added what shouldn't be added hmm. that's how you avoid getting a hundred thousand dollar change order from your plumber on doing building information modeling and that therein lies the other side of it you know you're thinking about building information modeling as a construction solution not as a facility solution so again, all of a sudden you start building the building you're asking for all this great information and everybody feels like you're moving their cheese and the rules are changing in the middle of the game and then getting something meaningful at the end is is nearly impossible but if we were instead to say listen you know you're gonna get paid and you're gonna put all your work in. those things are givens now we're gonna start thinking about how does your information exchange with the entire building itself no one's really doing that right now because the designers and the contractors are thinking about how they get off this job and get onto the next job and that's where I think the key lies is it simply about producing documentation as either the general contractor or the architect whoever's leading that effort to say we're going to make considerations about how we're gonna collect data for operations over time because the money they can save there is 10 times more than any savings you could possibly derive from the construction process. But that kind of takes a shot at the ego a little bit too, you know, the work you're doing isn't the most important thing in the world. So (laughs) that's the message that we're trying to get out there is, you know, we couldn't be here if we didn't have a specialist in emergency lighting control, otherwise it'd be too expensive. However. the fact that you all get to operate in your own ecosystem is because the GC and the architect are not taking the reins to say, we want something better than this for our client at the end of the day. And that's what we're working for. We're not working here to build a building. We're working here to deliver a facility, a living, breathing facility to a client that's going to spend the next 50 years operating out of that building.
0: Right. Yeah. And this kind of came up in the discussion that we had. Um, sorry, the, uh, another webinar we did earlier in the year. And um, it's sort of, They were saying about how we can try and get technology earlier into the design phase. So, as as you kind of said, you know, when when you're really sort of baking it into the design of the building, um, what's your thought on that? Do you think that would help, like, to give a better outcome?
1: Yeah, but again, we're always going to have to go back to you can't get anybody to do anything that doesn't add value to them. So, uh, let me give an example here. So, and. Initially, the architect is going to create the model, and the architect says, "I want there to be 12 two-by-two fluorescent light fixtures in this room. Um, where do they go? Well, you know, I don't care. Uh, you're going to put them in the grid wherever the grid goes. You're going to get them centered up. And so that information isn't conveyed, and the architect has to ask them a question: Is spending eight hours of modeling time going to derive value to me for that? And, and in a in the design world." There's very few things that get to that point. What does the roof look like? How does the structure interact? Can we get duct work through there? But a lot of the detail falls down the line because you've got to ask yourself is it worth modeling? So then you go to the general contractor. And you go to the general contractor and you say, General contractor, is it worth it for you to model that and understand that stuff so that you avoid all the. And so the general contractor says, Well, not really because I'm paying that electrician to do that work regardless of how difficult it is for him to do it. And if he does it better, he's just making more money. I'm not making more money. So why should I model this stuff? And then you go all the way down to the electrician. The electrician's like, "Well, I need to model it so that I can make it outside of that. I'm not creating content for facility management, so I'm not modeling. So then, where does it get? Where does it come in? So one of the real challenges in building information modeling is where is the value. And if we think of it only as designers and contractors, then there's there's not a lot of value to extract it from. But if we think of it instead over the life of the building, then there's more of an opportunity. And where I'd like to see what I think needs to happen is we need owners to understand that there needs to be a line item in construction to cover this this idea one we're gonna have a plan about the kind of information we're gonna to put together yeah. and two we're going to put this information together and deliver it in a tool that makes it successful and we can illustrate to you that by doing that we'll reduce your operating cost by 17% which by the way will totally repay your construction cost in only under 20 years that's what we need but is, is if we keep going back and asking the architect to find value in operations they don't find value in operations they don't get paid for that they get paid to build new things and tear down old things hmm. so what we're why we're so what our biggest challenge is I would say is trying to get folks to understand the value of the backside of this information and we've got two major problems one the ego of the builder and the architect says well the new stuff's the greatest stuff and we've got the client who uh, unfortunately is ignorant to how building goes on and, and can't make the best decisions there so
0: well, right. So you know, when not you, their job, is it? They, they, they just it's want not the their, that's, their business is something else.
1: That's correct. That's correct. And, and so many times we're just, hey, how much did it cost to run the building? It cost a million dollars. Well, that's overhead. That's just a million more dollars we can't make. Instead of saying, how do we get that down to $400,000? Because that's not your wheelhouse. That's not your level of expertise in how you maximize savings within building operation. What we're really trying to do is help people with that. Because as long as there are widgets in the world, we're going to build buildings to make them and store them. And as long as we're going to do that, we should start getting some intelligence in here. When we talk about energy savings, we talk about environmental controls for waste control. But we've got to do something now. And, and one of the things that I see is great from 2008, when I first started preaching this philosophy, people thought I was crazy, and especially more on the East Coast than the West Coast. And then over time, we've seen a proliferation in technology. We've seen uh, a, a gradual uh, reduction in the age of folks that are doing this job and as a result I think that we're at a very opportune time for a convergence of what's expected in savings and, and operations and what we can deliver to folks but we have to think outside of the box and not just deliver the same construction information to facilities operators.
0: Yeah, yeah it's great. I think that's a great summary as well. Probably a good place to um, to finish I think. Um, if Eric if they want more information about you know what we've been talking about? Um, where can they where can they get that from?
1: Uh, yeah, you can visit our website at wwwsite site1001. Um, we have uh, links to uh, our product information there, our philosophy, who some of our partners on, who we're working with. Uh, we're we're partnering with a, a lot of smart cities initiatives uh, around the country to try and take the information contained within the building and help input that into the smart city grid. Um, so. There's a lot of information there. There's also some contact information. If you have any questions or you'd like to get some more information on the work that we're doing, uh, you can find it all there on the website.
0: I mean, that's a super interesting topic as well, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's, it's all very well to think of this building as a standalone thing, right? But it's not, of course, is it? It's just part of a no. city or part yeah. of a town. Just in
1: conclusion here, one of the things that's really interesting as we went into the Smart City Initiative is smart cities are thinking about their streets and their infrastructure and their utilities and Wi Fi hotspots along mass transit routes. We're tracking people based on cell phone utilization and where they're getting off and where they're getting on and where they're loitering. But then if you imagine the facade of the building, that is a line. And once they cross that line, we don't know anything about them anymore. And the city doesn't know anything about that anymore. And so we want to push our information back out, take all that data, push it out into the street so that utilities can start to consume it, so that we can start to coordinate peak demand and utilization by having, you know, you can't manage anything you don't have the data on, and so what we want to do is start to introduce the concept of providing building-level data to the smart city.
0: Yeah, great, uh, and just to finish, um, if anyone out there wants some more information about some of the things that we've talked about in terms of, uh, regarding Internet of Things, then we just published this new report uh, and you can go to our website, there's the link, uh, give you much more detail about, about some of the stuff that we've been looking at recently. And we have recorded this uh, conversation, so it's going to go up on uh, SoundCloud and our website uh, probably tomorrow. And then, uh, uh, yeah, so for please uh, go out and share it with uh, with anyone you think um, would be interested. And obviously, just remains for me to say thanks to Eric. I really appreciate you um, taking the time.
1: Uh, Thank you, James. It's my pleasure.
0: Yeah, great. Great conversation. And uh, yeah, uh, look forward to uh, keeping in touch and seeing what you guys get up to.
1: Sounds great. Well, thanks again for the opportunity, James.
0: No worries. Bye Bye bye.